All right, we are talking about some hard sayings, some difficult sayings of Jesus Christ to where Peter ends up saying, so where else are we going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Now, this gym turns into a sanctuary every Sunday. We've been doing this here for a long time. Sunday, Sunday nights is where we started over 40 years ago. Um, and and it's, it's open to everyone. Anyone who wants to know about Jesus Christ. Uh, we like this uh, verse in 2 Peter 3.18. To grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory and honor both now and forever. Amen. So if you're here and you want to know more about Jesus Christ, you're Ohana. You are welcome here. We just want to make sure we're all following the right Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible. What do you mean? Well, there's some people, they think they're following Jesus. Uh, for instance, have you ever heard this saying, well, my Jesus emphasizes love, forgiveness, and not judging anyone. Okay, but does your Jesus also talk about repentance from sins? See, there are some people who want to elevate love and sacrifice holiness. It doesn't work that way. They want to talk all about, don't you dare judge me and sacrifice obedience. So that would be not the Bible, not the Jesus of the Bible. Here's others that say, my Jesus turns the other cheek when I mess up. Actually, no, he died for your sins when you mess up. The whole idea of turn the other cheek, Jesus is talking about it. Somebody comes up to me in public and smacks me, makes me a, a public uh, example of humility, just embarrassment. And everything in me wants to just retaliate and hit him back. And she said, no, no, at that point, when you feel justified and, and you feel you have no problem with slapping them back, just turn the other cheek. Walk away. So that's what he meant by that. Now, this third one, I'm hoping I don't get a, an applause, all right? My Jesus says it's okay to do psychedelic mushrooms. After all, he created them. And I thought, man, what if people go, right on, preach it. Um, what do you say when somebody says something like that? This is what I like to say. Yeah, he also created poison ivy, rattlesnakes, and great white sharks. Go swim with them. You know, you want to, uh, you need deodorant? Go herbal. Just rub on some poison ivy. See how that works. You see, the problem is creation as we know it is under a curse, we're told in Romans. And it's the, the curse, it's because of sin. When Jesus Christ comes back, the curse will be removed, and then we read of the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign after Christ comes back, where the lion will play with a lamb, where a child will play at a cobra's hole and have no problem with that. But until then, it's under a curse. So we want to make sure we've got the right Jesus, and the problem is he said some really difficult things to understand. Uh, let's take a look at some of them. Uh, thus far in John, like Pastor Danny covered this last week, Jesus, John chapter 6, he compared himself to the manna that came down from heaven way back in Moses' day, all right? So it, it was given by God the Father, it came down from heaven, and it provided, notice, physical nourishment, actually a form of life, if you will, if you consumed it. The problem is, Eventually, all those people who ate the physical manna died. So Jesus says, I'm like that. I was given by God the Father. I came from heaven, 
But instead of providing physical nourishment, I provide spiritual nourishment. And instead of eating and dying, you partake of me. You'll never die. He has a promise twice in this chapter. You will have eternal life. Something that's been given to you and lasts forever. You don't lose it. Now, Jesus said in, in, uh, last week with Danny, John, three, uh, John 6, 35, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. But now he's going to add today, this is the hard part. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Have you ever shared this with a vegetarian? They get totally grossed out. What are you talking about eating flesh and drinking blood? This, is, this sounds disgusting. It's disturbing. It's like, wait, what did he say? That's the idea. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Now we're going to read, as a result of saying these words, many disciples left. It's important to understand a disciple is not a born-again believer. A disciple means a learner. So he had many people following him who were disciples, quote, learners, and at this point they go, I'm out of here. And you want to go, is that all it takes for you to walk away from Jesus Christ? See, the disciples, when it says many left, they represent these people, I will follow Jesus as long as two things happen. Number one, as long as they, I, I agree with him. Okay, yeah, I agree that's sin, but don't tell me this is sin because I want to keep going. So as long as they agree with Christ, they'll follow him, or as long as they understand what he's doing. Have you ever been tempted to go, man, I don't know what God's doing in my life. I'm out of here. I'm going to take a break from Jesus. I dated this gal once in high school. We were Christians at the time. Kept everything clean. Go back after college. I go back and visit. I go, hey, you still walking with the Lord? She goes, no, I found something easier. Oh, yeah, well, that sounds like hellbound stuff. You don't go easier, all right? So as long as I understand, but as soon as I don't understand what God's doing in my life, I'm out of here. And again, I ask the question, is that all it takes for you to walk away from Jesus Christ? So we're going to read 31 verses, all right? That's probably the most we've ever read in one. You'll probably have spiritual indigestion uh, after this. I'm reading from the New King James Bible, chapter 6 of John beginning in verse 31, actually 41. The, the, the Jews then complained about Jesus because he said, I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread which comes down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? Now he's doing, saying this in Capernaum. So they could easily add, didn't he grow up down the, down the street? He's at the house on the right. They thought they knew him so well. That's the danger of setting a low ceiling for someone. Jesus therefore answered and said to them, don't murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That's a radical statement. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard this and learned, um, who has heard and learned from the, I'm sorry, every, I'm trying to read too fast. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. 
Not that anyone has, has seen the Father, except he who is from the Father, that would be Jesus. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, you see the next word, has eternal life. I've got it. I'm heaven bound. I believe in him. I'm the bread of life. As your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and died, this is the bread which comes down from heaven, uh, that uh, one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give him is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Then the Jews therefore quarreled amongst themselves, saying, how can this guy give us his flesh to eat? So verse 53, Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourself. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, he who feeds, me, uh, he who feeds on me will live because of me. Sorry, it's, I don't have good lights up here. Okay. The things he said to the synagogue, or these things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. That's his hometown uh, of when he became a, a teacher. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? Jesus knew in himself that his disciples or his learners complained about this. He said to them, does this offend you? Uh, what, what if you should see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? Now, that's going to happen in Acts chapter 1. So it's past tense for us, but it was still future tense for them. They were, some of them would see Jesus ascend into heaven. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are, are spirit. They're life. So he's frustrated. You guys are going to leave me, and yet I'm telling you the very things you need to hear. But there are some of you who don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who, who they were who would not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it's granted to him by my Father. So verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back. They just I'm out of here. And they walked with him no more. And Jesus said to the 12, so that's the 12 apostles, do you also want to go away? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the 12? Yeah, he spent a whole night in prayer and chose these 12 as a result. And yet one of you is the devil. He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he, it was he who would betray Jesus, being one of the 12. It's interesting, you know the, the, the story. He betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And then the question is, what would it take for me to betray Jesus? What would it take for me to walk away from him? All right, so we're, we're, we're often guilty of placing these low ceilings on people. When Jesus said, 
uh, you know, I'm the, the bread of life. They're going, who, who does he think he is? He will never be a Messiah. We as parents, grandparents, really have to watch out for this. Because we can put low ceilings on people and go, Shh, I know you. You grew up down the street. You will never be a doctor. You will never be a lawyer. You'll never be a teacher. You'll never amount to anything. That's putting a low ceiling on someone. As opposed to, ah, David's a shepherd boy out in the fields, but God's going to make him a king. Once God's hand is upon him, watch out. So they're putting this low ceiling upon Jesus. They thought they knew him so well. I watched you grow up. I was your third grade teacher. You mowed my lawn, right? So here, the idea is, you know, Jesus, I liked you better when you were a carpenter or a stonemason. I liked you better when you weren't just a hard worker. You were very dependable. You didn't make these outrageous claims to be the son of the living God and the, the manna from heaven. I don't know what that's all about. We can do the same. Uh, Christmas is two months away. Hopefully that's not a shock to you folks. If you shop at Costco, you know half the Christmas stuff is gone already. I mean, it is mid-October. At my house, truth be known, the red Christmas towels came out yesterday. Uh, so you coming over for Ohana group tonight, you go to the bathroom, you're going to go, wow, they have red Christmas towels. My wife is Mrs. Claus, so she's a lot better looking than Mrs. Claus. But, you know, the idea, she's into this Christmas stuff. And what happens at Christmas every year, people are very comfortable with a baby Jesus in a manger. And the truth, yeah, 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 just we'll go there, we'll throw some frankincense and whatever, and you know, throw a quarter in, whatever. Just that's my gold. And they're very comfortable with a baby who can't confront them, who can't talk to them and say, I came because you're in sin. I came out of love and compassion to save, to heal, to restore. And now they're they're comfortable with that, but the next time they see Jesus. He's coming back, and every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess, and he will be presented as the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and people are going to go, I was really comfortable with you as a baby, but I don't want to submit to you. I don't want to bow the knee to you. So that's what they're going through with Christ. And the indictment here was, you know what your problem is? You're not taught of God. He's not saying they're stupid. He's not saying you don't have a college degree or a PhD. He's saying you went to the wrong university, if you will. You're full of the world. You haven't been taught by God. Now from there, Jesus goes into this idea of the sovereignty of God. Sovereignty means God rules over all. All right? So he said, look in verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. And you might go, you know, I'm offended. I'd like to think I was the first to make the move. I'd like to think that, oh, although I had everything, uh, I was empty and I came to Christ. Or on the opposite end, I had nothing. I was dry. I was back, you know, whatever. And, and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I want to think I began the search. Well, according to Jesus, God the Father did. According to the Bible, there's none who seek God. No, not one. It all begins with this, again, the sovereignty of God the, where he rules over and inexplicably he'll 
just touch your life and say, come to me. Come to me. And he says, he wants you as part of his ohana. He wants you included. And so he starts the process. Now, I don't have a problem with God's sovereignty because his way is perfect. His word is perfect, right? Like silver tried in the furnace of the earth, seven times purified. The word of the Lord is pure. The ways of the Lord are pure. He's driven by love. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. I don't have a problem with it. His ways are perfect. He knows what's best. He's got all the data. We don't. He knows the motives. He has the time schedule. We don't have any of that. I can trust him because he loves me. Uh, my responsibility is what I'm concerned about. Your responsibility kind of freaks me out because God's way is perfect. Ours isn't. Now, the very fact that you are here this morning shows me God is at work in your life. Before you find fault with the sovereignty of God, you're in his house. You're hearing his promises, come unto me, everyone who's weary. You know, in our vernacular, everyone who's stressed out, worked too hard, and you just come unto me. And the promises, he, he said, I'll give you rest for your souls. He'll give you rest that no one else can provide. It doesn't come in a bottle or in a needle. It comes in a, a relationship with Jesus Christ. So from there, he goes into this idea, you got to eat my flesh. And right away, this is revolting, right? You go, ah, come on, don't you struggle with some of the sayings of Jesus? Like, why did he say that? I have my wife, I know where she is in the Bible when she goes, why did he have to say that? And it's true, it's just like, ah, don't you think if he had a PR guy, he'd come up to Jesus and say, you know, that last sermon was a real dud. You can't talk like that anymore. You gotta soften it up. Have some jokes. Share a little story about a happy puppy at the end and the clothes. And you can't have this stuff where they walk away. But this is just hard to take. And, and to me, it just sounds like cannibalism. So how do we know it's not cannibalism? How do we know it's something deeper? And we go into the three C's of, of um, interpretation of Scripture especially you guys who study the word, you're going to want to know these three. It's very helpful to understand what is that supposed to mean. So the three C's are one is context. And I'm going to, we're going to have an example of each one of these. Uh, just a quick example, dealing with the hard, difficult sayings of Christ. Context is, like, you know, if you just read a few verses above this troubling verse and a few verses below, usually you get an understanding of what they're talking about. Just read it in context. Secondly, maybe that doesn't work, and it might be a cultural thing. You understand that Jewish culture was a lot different than ours. For instance, even in 1 Corinthians 7, you can read as they're addressing uh, New Testament believers, hey, you dads, you dads who have a virgin daughter, it's up to you when she marries, who she marries, and if she marries. Well, I would think that's a little different meaning to them than it is to us. Uh, an American dad, if you want to try that, good luck. Write a book about what happened because your daughter's not going to go for that. She'll take your advice. But for the dad to have absolute control, even to determine if she'll never get married, 
That meant a lot more to them. That's a cultural thing, and we have to understand that as we read. We'll get into an example in a minute. Then the third C is cross-reference. You go, man, I need to compare this verse with other verses on the same subject because the Bible will not contradict itself. It will complement itself. And so by doing this, I can know, I'll read it at first, ah, I don't know what it means, but I know what it doesn't mean by comparing scriptures. Okay, so we go back to the, to the context. So here's a difficult saying of Christ. Sermon on the Mount, he goes, uh, uh, Matthew 5, 29, if your right eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. And so you go, okay, you know what? I'm going to take this seriously. Uh, suppose you're struggling with pornography. And you go, that's it. You pluck out your right eye. I don't know what you do with it. It's really gross. But you go, okay. Or, and you know the rest of the verse goes, uh, if your hand causes you to stumble, just cut it off. And then reasoning, Jesus saying, it's better to enter heaven with one eye than enter hell with both eyes. So you go, okay, now people have taken this to the extreme. Is that bizarre? Pastor Chuck Smith, who was the head of Calvary Chapel, was called to the hospital by parents whose teenager cut off the right hand. I'm not going to sin anymore. You know, if that's all it was, we'd all be a group of lefties, right? No, no right eye, no right hand. And it's sad because that hand is gone forever. So you go, wait, wait, wait. In context, what's he really talking about? I don't think he's into self-mutilation. I don't think he wants me to cut off body parts. So what is it he's trying to tell me? Well, in the context, if you read above it and below it, the whole Sermon on the Mount, you realize he's saying just because you didn't commit intercourse doesn't mean you're innocent. Because all you have to do is lust after someone, you're guilty of going to hell. He's trying to show that it's way deeper than the surface level. Oh yeah, I didn't jump into bed with anybody so I'm clean. He goes, no, we're all guilty of going to hell. So there's reading it in context. Now, the danger of not being in context, this is a fancy word, isogesis. What you want to do is exogesis. You, you take the word and uh, you just take the meaning out and display it. You, you just bring it out like that. Isogesis is, no, I'm going to isolate one verse I'm going to bring out that one verse and build a false doctrine around that. So most of the false doctrines out there today have their foundation in isogesis, meaning they, instead of taking the whole chapter or the whole theme or movement, they're going, I like this one verse, and I'm going to build a whole doctrine over that. That's isogesis. It's always dangerous. It's the opposite of context. So... The second one is now culture. Remember the culture. Maybe it means something different to them, to his original audience 2,000 years ago. So for this one, this guy comes up to Jesus. You're familiar with the story. He goes, Jesus, I'm ready to follow you. Let me first, I think those two words are dangerous, me first, go and bury my parents. Do you remember his, his response? 
let the dead bury their own dead. I'm sorry, I'm offended. Does that mean you're against families? Is that, you're not into funerals? Well, he'd go to a funeral and raise the dead, so that was a cool thing that he would do. But the thing is, he just, at first you go, what? This guy is sincerely saying, I will follow you as soon as this happens. But uh, culturally, we think this guy's parents weren't even dead yet. Just imagine if, if he's only 20. His parents could live for decades. So what is he saying? This is his great excuse for delayed obedience. He's saying, listen, once I get all my ducks in a row, once I have this steady income from my inheritance, I'm going to follow you. And Jesus said, let them do their own thing. Follow me now. You see, we fit into the story, maybe not by waiting on an inheritance. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. But the idea is, I'll follow you as soon as, rather than, here I am. I like Isaiah 6. Here am I, send me. I'm ready. So this is a cultural thing. The, the third one is the cross-reference. And again, cross-reference, just compare this verse, this troubling verse, with other verses, and it's the idea, I'm not sure what it does mean, I know what it doesn't mean because of cross-referencing. So, in Leviticus chapter 17, we're, we read that cannibalism is forbidden. The, the, the Bible will not contradict itself. So if it's forbidden in the Old Testament, it's forbidden in the New Testament, cannibalism. And so we know, okay, Jesus meant something deeper than just eat my body, drink my blood. We know that it's, uh, the, 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 the reason we address this is this doctrine of transubstantiation, which if you spell it out, it's like, well, the, there's this substance of the communion, the, the cup and, and the bread. That substance is transformed into the body of Christ, the body and blood of Christ. Growing up as a Roman Catholic, this was our belief. We were taught this. Based on scriptures like this, you go, see, we can prove it. No, that's called cannibalism. So what you do is because of cross-referencing, going back to Leviticus, we can say, no, it's not. It's not cannibalism. But it's this, uh, it's this symbolic meaning where Jesus said, as long as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. We're going to have communion after this. It doesn't become the body and blood of Christ. You won't be cannibals. But it's the idea, I like that it says, remember him, not remember all my sins, not remember how cons inconsistent I am, how sinful. It's like, remember him who died for me, and this represents his, his body and blood there on the cross, dying for me. Now, all that being said, when Jesus goes, whoever eats my flesh, that is just shocking. It's revolting. It's like, I don't know why he said that. It's because he doesn't want anything superficial. He doesn't want anything casual like, oh, you show up in church. Yeah, I did. You know, I clocked in on Sunday morning. Now I'm good for the week. He wants relationship. He wants deep stuff, not surface level. And so sayings like this shock us to the point, now, wait, what? What's he saying? The lamb of God, the, uh, the um, sacri um, Passover lamb 
represents Christ. They were to kill it, they confess their sins over it, kill it, take it into the house. Well, of course they had to cook it, and they had to consume it, completely consume it. That's the idea. Jesus saying, why don't you consume me? Why don't you abide with me? Don't just visit for an hour on Sunday. So then from there we go into these verses where we've already told, said, the disciples go, man, this is hard. Disciple is a learner. It's not a believer necessarily. And they're going, oh, well, I'm, I'm out of here. I don't know who can take this. So remember we said the reason for this is they represent those people who say, I will follow Jesus on two, uh, two reasons. As long as I agree with him. When he says this is sin, yes, that is disgusting. That is disgusting. I agree. But if he says this is, oh, no, 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 I still do that one. So I'm out of here because I don't agree with you. Or as long as they understand what he's doing. And this is the, this is the one that affect, affects more believers than the other one. The one that just go, you know, <laughs> Lord, I've given you my all. I'm following you. I've given up. So I don't know what the deal is. I don't understand what you're doing. It'd be great to take a little poll this morning. How many here understand that everything God's doing in your life? Nope. How many here have nothing but answered prayers? There's nothing sustaining. There's nothing keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. No, 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 I get it instantly. There's so many times we don't understand what God is doing, and he's saying, will you still trust me? I mean, I gave you my son. Would you still trust my timing, my wisdom? When I say no, because so often we're actually praying for razor blades, like the little kid watching his dad shave, Daddy, I want a razor blade. No, you're only two. You'll just cut yourself to shreds. But I, yeah, I want it done. No. And so one of God's most loving terms is no. So I don't know what he's doing, but I'm not leaving. It's interesting. Jesus doesn't chase after them. Wait, wait, wait. Stop. I'll make it easier. I'll tone it down. I'll tell some jokes and end with a puppy story. By the way, there's nothing wrong with that, okay? It's just to substitute that for the hard stuff. Then he turns to his 12 apostles. You guys bailing? Which strikes me. They've already been following him for a long time. You'd think if they were going to bail, they would have done it by now. But it's still this present tense uh, relationship. Um, so what? Is that all it takes? Are you bailing? And that's when Peter goes, you know what? Where else are we going to go? Where else? Here's what I, I think he's saying. is, Lord, I don't like everything you're saying. I don't understand everything you're doing. But where else am I going to go? You're the one, the truth, the way, the truth, the life. Where, where else? You know, I, and that's, that's our point. Like, I don't understand everything he says. I don't get everything he's doing or his timing or his holding back. But where else am I going to go? He alone has the words of eternal life. I'm going to close with this, and then we'll get into communion. There's a lot of difficult sayings we could get into of Jesus. I mean, this sermon could have easily been called the difficult sayings of Christ. But try this. I want to do two. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. Notice the caps I have. Deny himself. 
How good are you at denying yourself? I mean, you know, if we were on a report card, back in my day, it was A, B, C, D, F. And if you got a red F, you're really bad. Now it's like incomplete or I don't know. You get a ribbon, I don't know. But there were those times when they were softening the blow when they put an N-I. Remember what that stood for? Needs improvement. So how many of you, if you're saying, okay, how are you doing it? Denying yourself. Do you get an N-I? See, you know, you can use it. I think we all could. I don't like denying myself. I wish Jesus didn't say that. I wish he could have said, you want to come after me? It's going to be one big party. You're going to have every answered prayer, every prayer answered. You're going to have, it's going to be a blast. And then you get to heaven. So now you're going to have to deny yourself. What is that supposed to mean? There's times you're going to live for others. There's times the devil's going to offer you immediate gratification. You're going to say, no, I can't. I'm not going there. I'm going to deny myself. I have a saying, no one fasts in front of an open refrigerator. Don't make it harder on yourself. But when's the last time you honestly denied yourself? I mean, come on, I assume we've done it. How about pick up his cross daily? I thought once a week was good enough. (laughs) What's this daily stuff? You mean I'm at it all the time? Yeah, yeah. And and there's times I wish he wouldn't have said all this. I wish he would have said, it's so easy. It's a magic carpet ride. You just get on and we're, we end up in heaven. He says, no, you're going to follow me? You're gonna, it's going to be a life of self-denial. Now, that sounds like a real crowd pleaser. Follow Jesus and deny yourself. Pick up your cross. What, what's, what's with a cross? It's not your husband or your wife or your teenagers. A man carrying a cross was a man on his way to die. Dying to self, living to God every day. It's a very difficult saying of Christ. I kind of have a hunch. I know I have an N-I on my life. Maybe you do too. The second one that's really hard that he said is in Matthew 18. He goes, you know, we got to forgive each other from the heart. Not technically, not okay, like the judge, okay, you're free, get out of here. Another place he said is in Matthew 6 with the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins, just the way we forgive everybody else. And he said, you know, if you forgive others, it's fine, you'll be forgiven. But if you don't, in our vernacular, don't even think your sins are clean. Wait, 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 and here's the trouble. I'm forgiven by grace. There's no works involved. Now it sounds like Jesus said, yeah, there is a work. So what's the deal? How can I be forgiven by grace and yet required to forgive others? By me forgiving someone who's really hurt me, especially 70 times 70, it demonstrates the reality of my relationship with the King of Kings. He's forgiven me. A lot more than 70 times 7. I need to pass that on. I need to show the reality of my relationship with others. Do you get challenged on that? 
I think it's pretty safe any Sunday to talk about unforgiveness because usually someone is struggling there. Doggone it, why do you have to say that? Why do you have to bring that up? It could be because you're wrestling with it. Jesus gave a parable in Matthew 18 about kind of forming your own prison by simply not forgiving someone who doesn't deserve it. But because you've been forgiven, you pass it on. I told this story. This, this happened recently. I'm driving in town and this girl didn't stop at the uh, yield sign, all right? And I'm going, you know, okay, I'm, she sees me. I'm in a truck, you're in a car, look up, and she just doesn't see me. And so I finally stop and she, you know, the shocked look, and then she keeps going. And, and I wanted to just, you ever do that? I was so glad I didn't flip her off. I know a pastor who did that and confessed to his whole church. <laughs> and they were, <"Ooh." laughs> no, I didn't. But 20 seconds later, I did a very similar thing where now it's my fault and I almost caused a collision with an 18-wheeler. Guess who would have won that? And I went, wow, I'm glad I was a little bit understanding and forgiving to the girl that almost cut me off. The idea of forgiveness is I have received God's forgiveness. Well, that's a question. Have you? Because when God forgives, it's, it's no strings attached. It's not like we forgive. I forgive you, but man, I'm watching you, and you're off my Christmas card list, you know. He forgives. It's like Jesus said, it is finished. It's over. What do you think the hardest thing Jesus ever said was? You ever thought of that? It wasn't about pick up your cross, deny yourself, follow me. It wasn't about forgiving others. This is just, it is debatable. It's my take on it. I think the hardest thing Jesus ever said was, it's on the cross. In Luke 23, verse 34, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I think it's hard because if I were Christ, I'd go, they know exactly what they're doing. Just cream them all. Just wildfire. But he demonstrated how we're supposed to forgive by forgiving us. And you go, how do you, they're driving nail, nine inch nails in your wrist. They're, they're putting the spear in your, how do you say they don't know the crown of thorns and they're beating you with this reed from the water and this, how do you say they don't? Because they don't know this is the son of God. The king of kings, the Lord of lords, that God the father provided, sent down from heaven so that if we would partake, we'd have eternal life. So they don't know that. They don't get that. They've been blinded to it. But we haven't. We haven't. And I'm trusting that most everybody here has already made that commitment and said, okay, I'm in. I will deny myself. I will pick up my cross and follow him by his strength, by his promises, and I will fulfill his calling on my life. See, we're going to have communion. And a lot of people, it doesn't mean much to them. 
little cracker and juice, whatever. And, but I want it to mean something. I want to be able to look at Christ, my Savior, and go, I did this right. I remembered what you did for me. My emphasis was on thanks, cleansing, restoration. I'm not here to trade you in for 30 pieces of silver. I'm here to surrender.